Greetings from the cosmic horror. The stars are right once again, and great old ones allow us to talk about for 30 plus minutes HP Lovecraft, the horror writer who's a genre onto himself. I'm your cosmic host, Mark Griffin, executive of the Lovecraft Estate on Yaga, joined in by two from the material world, David Guffey, a professor at Mispatonk University, and Richard Wilson, who has just found out he's a third cousin to Shog Nigroth. Today's guest is a returning one, uh, Kenneth Fage. He was last on us to talk about Edith Miniter, but he's come back to talk about his book, Lovecraftian People, Places. And we're going to be talking about Lovecraft's genealogy. Welcome. How are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me. It's always good to have you back. Lovecraft, going into the genealogy, Lovecraft is certain who his ancestors were, but you're not certain that he knew the, the correct order, that the all-good chart misinformed him. Well, it, it, it's certainly hard to uh, verify uh, many of his claims, particularly concerning his uh, paternal ancestry. He was generally uh, well informed about his maternal ancestry, the Phillips lines, but uh, on the paternal side, he, he definitely had some ideas that uh, we're not able to verify, particularly uh, uh, the claim that his uh, uh, great-grandfather's wife, uh, Mary, was Mary Fulford, which was a very uh, distinguished uh, Devonshire line. And uh, uh, all the evidence points to the fact that she was actually a member of the full family uh, rather than Fulford. And a lot of his claims of uh, uh, noble and royal ancestry came uh, through that claim of Fulford ancestry. So uh, at least my version of his ancestry on the paternal side is a lot different than his. But uh, that doesn't say that his, his version still has a lot of cultural importance. Pe people will be citing his version years and years <laughs> after I'm done with it. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that because as I said, uh, uh, his version has uh, certainly cultural importance. Uh, the original spelling of the surname was actually Lovecroft. And it's a meaning I didn't quite expect. Croft generally has the signification of a field, farm, place, cave, den, whereas craft is more of a profession-type uh, uh, designation. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, I, certainly uh, very remotely, I think the name, all these variants had a common origin, but uh, gradually they became distinguished. Uh, sometimes they would morph one into the other and then back again, but uh, eventually stabilized. Uh, uh, by the 19th century in England, uh, they were both uh, very uncommon, rare surnames and seemed to have died off in the early part of the 20th century in uh, England. Lovecraft himself believed that he was the final uh, uh, member of the male line in the, in the United States. Uh, you described the Lovecraft shield as being like a punning coat. Uh, what did you mean by that? Uh, what I mean by that, well, let me just show you something here. A uh, version of the uh, coat that uh, uh, Harry Beckwith blazoned. And you'll notice that there on the shield, there are three heads uh, uh, surrounding the uh, uh, chevron. That's the upside down V. And the three heads are variously described as uh, foxes or wolves' heads, but uh, 
Harry Beckwith's theory was that they were originally at least wolves' heads, and that it's a punning quote because uh, in uh, French, uh, Louvre is uh, for the female uh, wolf bitch. So, uh, and of course, the, the female wolf bitch is notorious for ferocity in defending her young. And uh, uh, the theory was that the family had among its members. Uh, uh, hunters of wolves. Uh, wolves were known in this area of England, at least uh, back in the earlier part of the uh, uh, Middle Ages. And uh, the, the name Love, in fact, as a, as a given name, was uh, often borne by a hunter or warrior. So uh, uh, it's a, it was called a punning coat simply because uh, of those uh, wolves' heads that uh, uh, were on the uh, coat which uh, form a component of the of the surname uh, lovecraft had said that john lovecraft fabled ancestor had the fox heads removed from the shield yes uh, a lot of modern versions of the shield uh, uh surrounding the chevron are not three uh, uh wolves or foxes heads but uh uh there there uh, uh <coughs> there are three towers now in the, in the in the Beckwith version of the shield, I just show it again here. You'll see that the uh, you have the uh, <coughs> foxes or wolves heads on the field itself on the shield itself, uh, but then uh, above the above the uh, helm, uh, you have uh, the crest. The crest is formed of a of a of a tower. The crest between the helm and the crest or the tower is what's called a wreath or a torse and all these dependencies uh, uh, that you see surrounding the you know the shield are actually uh, uh, deriving from that torse or wreath so they're they're decorative they're not supporters supporters would be actually supports of the shield these are often beasts or uh, might might be uh, uh, humans, but uh, in this case, there are no supporters. There's just the, what's called the mantling. Lovecraft and, could call those um, Cthulian tentacles or something like that. Yeah, he may well have. He liked any uh, suggestion of his critters uh, uh, in, in things pertaining to his cultural background. Now, Lovecraft believed his ancestors <laughs> were landed gentry, but you found otherwise? Well, we look back and... Uh, uh, his uh, the emigrant ancestor had uh, started out probably uh, as a uh, uh, as a farmer, but uh, became a carpenter. And then uh, before he departed England, he was at least for a brief while a uh, spinner of worsted yarn in, in the hamlet of Bickington in Devonshire. Uh, so those were his uh, uh, occupations. He he eventually became a bankrupt, and that was probably the explanation of his departure from England. And then if you go back a generation in front of him, uh, the next ancestor was John Lovecraft, and he was actually a mariner. Uh, he, he fought in some engagements against the French in the Caribbean during the period of the Revolutionary uh, War. So the French were, of course, allies of the, uh, the Americans. So Lovecraft would have been very proud of that ancestor. He, he generally deplored the uh, American Revolution. Uh, before uh, John the Mariner was uh, Joseph, a farmer. And then uh, the very last one that my colleagues and I were able to discover, those colleagues were uh, Chris Dougherty and Langley Searles, but uh, 
the earliest we could find, the ancestors we could find were two weavers who married in Broadhempston Parish in, in December of 1699. And they, uh, uh, they were uh, uh, Will Lovecraft and George Merrifield, George being used as a female name. And as I said, they were both weavers. Weavers, uh, Devonshire during this period, starting even from the uh, 15th century and before, was very prominent as a producer of uh, Wool, so it's not surprising that uh, among Lovecraft's earliest ancestors were uh, weavers. So that's the chain of ascent that we were able to uh, uh, ascertain. Not quite clergymen and uh, landed uh, nobles, but uh, uh, good, honest uh, uh, pluggers away, uh, nonetheless. Good, honest folks, I guess you say. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so he boasted of having unmixed English gentry. So, I mean, basically, he, he did not have unmixed gentry, did he? No, I think he was uh, uh, very mixed, uh, probably mostly of uh, common origin, although I, I think he does have at least one valid royal line through his uh, place ancestry on the maternal side. Uh, he actually has as an ancestor Anne Marbury uh, Hutchinson, who was a famous... Uh, a religious leader in early colonial New England. She was murdered on Long Island in 1643, but uh, she has a fairly well-established ascent to King Edward I. And from him, you could go way back into the Middle Ages uh, in terms of kings and nobility, etc. So he did have some uh, a royal and noble ancestry, but mostly his ancestors were common people. You know, it's... Uh, it's a, it's a case of uh, extraordinary flowering of ordinary seed, you might, you might say, in the case of Lovecraft, at least as far as we were able to determine. Did the families also hunt wolves? Excuse me, did they have wolves? Did they hunt wolves? You know, did they hunt the wolves? Well, uh, I don't have any direct evidence in, the, in, that, in that regard, apart, apart from the, apart from the uh, heraldic evidence, the, the shield which... Uh, he claimed. Uh, this shield was actually uh, found with different tinctures uh, in the, uh, uh, in, in the, as quarterings in the shields of Boscawen and Elliot in the 1620 visitations uh, uh, of the heralds. So, I mean, there is some circumstantial evidence that uh, he might well have had ancestors who were uh, who chose to put the wolves' heads on their on the on on their arms, and uh, it'd be a natural presumption that these men had been uh, mighty hunters of wolves. So, uh, uh, you know, some of the Elliot family papers have been given uh, in lieu of uh, inheritance taxes were given to I think the Cornwall uh, Historical Society. I, I'm not sure about the name of the society, but uh, uh, there there's maybe there's still a chance that some reference to uh, an ancient Lovecraft or Lovecraft uh, family might yet be found in those papers. That that's work for uh, uh, future family historians to do. So wolves, maybe. That'd be, that'd be a cool bragging right to have. Yeah. Uh, John Lovecraft, HPL's possible great great grandfather, was he believed he was a Lord uh, Minister near Newton, but uh, Lord of Minister Hall, excuse me. Uh, but that's probably not true. Well, the Devon uh, historians and genealogists have found no record of uh, 
any estate in Devonshire called Minster Hall. Uh, there, is, there is a town in Cornwall on the North Shore of Cornwall called, uh, called uh, Minster. And uh, there, there was an abbey associated uh, with it, uh, Minster Church. But uh, that, that's a pretty far distance from, uh, from uh, the, the vicinity of uh, Exeter and, and, and in Devonshire. So uh, uh, Min Minster Hall seems to be, you know, I really don't have a, uh, what shall I say, a very uh, good explanation of how that might be linked uh, or how that claim might have originated. Maybe somebody made it, maybe somebody made it up. Maybe, maybe uh, it, it was the property that Thomas uh, Lovecraft, his, uh, the ancestor he claimed, uh, was supposed to have lost to his uh, uh, gambling habits in 1823. And Lovecraft stated that was a significant date since it was the date that his family, at least according to the technical definition, ceased to be gentlemen, ceased to be landed uh, gentry. Ceased to be gentlemen. Just like the Three Stooges, they always uh, they never like to be to be called gentlemen. <laughs> they said it would be a disgrace to their families. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would these counts of these from his ancestors have influence on his writing, such rats in the walls? Oh, I definitely think so. I think his you know, his ideas about his ancestry and his imaginings about that ancestry definitely had a strong influence on his fiction and in, in stories like the rats in the walls and many others it's a very strong influence yeah i can i can see him imagining you know they do him going back to his ancestral home and you know then i don't yes. know if any kind of rats are not in real life you know but you know. he might have you know some of those older structures uh, uh the humans weren't the only denizens yeah <laughs> Uh, Joshua Lovecraft, his great-grandfather, operated Church House Inn in Broad Hempston, a village, parish, and former manor in Devon. Uh, what do you know about him? Uh, Joshua wasn't actually an ancestor. He's a collateral relative. I know that means he has a common ancestor with uh, Lovecraft, probably that same Will Lovecraft, uh, the weaver of uh, 1699. But he did, he married into the ownership of that inn. He married Sarah Ashweek, and uh, her father had been the proprietor of, uh, of the church house inn in Broad Hempston. And uh, he, uh, he ran it for uh, a good long period. And then his uh, son-in-law ran it for another 20 years uh, after him. And it's, it's still in business today. It's, it's called the Monk's Retreat. And if you're ever uh, so fortunate as to visit uh, Broad Hempston in Devonshire. Well, I first go to see the uh, Lovecraft tombstones in there in the churchyard. There are there are a few of them, uh, and uh, uh, then by all means go to the monks' retreat for uh, for to uh, replenish. So uh, I, I wish it seemed likely that I had a chance to uh, do that, but uh, you younger guys, uh, maybe uh, you will. So uh, in any case, yes, the the church house inn is. Uh, uh, definitely uh, a feature there in Broad Hempston. I think it was a, it was originally a, a church property used for church business. It wasn't the church, but uh, a property used for church business. That's interesting. I had to go to Britain just to do that sometime. 
Uh, well, and, you know, I, I, I'm not sure it would be the sole purpose of a trip to England, but if you had enough time to mm -hmm. shoot down to Devonshire for a day or two, it might be fun as a Lovecraftian exercise. The, the tombstones in Broadhempston uh, 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 Churchyard are for William Lovecraft, another descendant of the original weaver. Uh, William was quite a successful uh, uh, tailor. In fact, he eventually had a tailoring business in London on Threadneedle Street. And he, he however, finally retired to Broadhempston, where he built himself uh, uh, an estate called uh, uh, Snadehurst, which, or excuse me, I believe he originally called it Greenhill, and today it's called Snadehurst. It's still there, and you can uh, uh, you can see it. So. Uh, um, some mem some members of the uh, family uh, uh, were were certainly successful. His son uh, uh, William uh, was another uh, lived in London and was another uh, uh, successful man. So yes, there 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 would definitely be uh, uh, some sights to see on a, a day trip or a trip of a couple days uh, down to Devonshire. Yeah. We can get our friends from um, Strange Shadows and give us a tour of it and everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're over in Britain as well. Great. Uh, Joseph and Mary Lovecraft and the family immigrated to the United States um, uh, because they believe the father's gambling debts. Well, I actually, as I, I stated before, I think uh, it was actually Joseph himself who ran into uh, financial troubles. He had been first a farmer, then a carpenter. Uh, then, as I said, he, he uh, uh, acquired a worsted yarn uh, spinning factory in the village of Bickington. We know he was there because there, he and his wife's final child, Mary, was baptized there in 1828. But uh, his departure in 1831 was not related to, at least directly, to any financial failure by uh, his, his father. His father had uh, had been dead since 1780. Uh, uh, I think he, the father, the mariner, had died as a result of wounds he sustained in uh, battle over there in the Caribbean. But uh, I think the business problems were Joseph's own. And uh, by uh, May of 1831, he came uh, with his wife and children to uh, to the United States, settled in Rochester. And uh, you know, this the whole story of uh, his father being Thomas Lovecraft and Thomas having lost his fortune and his estate of Minster Hall through gambling uh, uh, just doesn't seem to be supported by any discoverable facts. And now it's very hard to prove negatives, but, uh, you know, I, we just found not, nothing to support that tale. I think the, the reason for Joseph's departure was primarily his own business failure. Uh, he, he seemed, you know, the, the, the bankruptcy proceedings were not until the fall of 1831. So uh, maybe he and his family kind of hightailed it out uh, uh, in advance of that. And uh, of course, they, they probably would have taken as much movable property as they could with them. And then uh, uh, the real estate would have been left to uh, satisfy his creditors because he couldn't very well take the real estate with him. There was something that was going on that time, too, as well, the swing riots. Yes, it was a very troubled time uh, economically and politically. 
uh, uh, you know, uh, farmers were resisting mechanization and uh, mechanization was being re resisted in uh, industry as well. Uh, politically, uh, uh, you know, George III had, excuse me, George IV, the, the former uh, Prince Regent had, had died in 1830 and then the uh, Charles X in France had been overthrown. So it was a very unstable unstable period. And uh, it may well be that uh, perhaps absent all that instability, Joseph would have struggled on with his uh, worsted sp spinning business, but uh, maybe he perceived that the opportunities for himself and more importantly for his family members uh, uh, would be better in America. So they decided to make the trip. And you thought maybe they traveled under an assumed name? Uh, it's entirely possible, although the surviving records are very inco incomplete. You know, record keeping wasn't uh, what it became in modern times back then. There are many ships for whom we have no passenger lists. So uh, the thought is they might have come through Canada uh, originally. Lovecraft felt they settled there, you know, believed they settled there originally. But the, they soon came. By 1831, uh, they 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 came to Rochester, uh, New York, where where they where they uh, uh, pursued a pursued a number of different lines of business, uh, barrel making, uh, et, et cetera, and were generally uh, quite successful. They were they were good entrepreneurs in, in the new world in the in the uh, new world. So I think uh, maybe Joseph had the right had the right idea to bring them there. So uh, who was um, HPL's uh, paternal grandfather? Uh, his name, he was a son, of course, of the immigrant uh, Joseph Lovecraft and his wife, Mary Full. And his name was George Lovecraft. He had been baptized over in uh, uh, Devonshire in Woodland Parish uh, in 1815. So he was about 16 when the family arrived in uh, America. And... Uh, he uh, eventually his business became the nursery business. That's not daycare, but it's it's uh, uh, the the raising of uh, plants and trees. He was very active in that originally in the Rochester area, and then he removed down to Brook the Brooklyn the Brooklyn area, the New York City metropolis, and uh, uh, he ended his life in Mount Vernon, New York, which is a New York City uh, uh, suburb. His wife was Helen Algood. That was another uh, English English line. Now, when you say the, Lovecraft, the Lovecrafts were strong on their Englishness, that's for sure. Especially, uh, especially he imparted that to his son Winfield, who was uh, uh, very proud of uh, 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 his English origin, his English accent, etc. Now, when you say ended his life, he committed suicide. No, he died. Okay. Uh, I, I'm I, I don't remember it, but he died of natural causes. He was 80 years old, so that was a good long life for the uh, for the time. Yeah, and um, Winfred Lovecraft's father uh, married Sarah Susan Phillips, uh, June 12, 1889, at St. Paul's Cathedral in Boston. Is that correct? That's right. I've actually visited there on Tremont Street in Boston. And uh, when I went there, I, uh, after doing the church, uh, the right next door is the church office. So I went there and uh, uh, we had a little trouble finding the record. That's because uh, 
the groom's name was filed under Dovecraft rather than Lovecraft. They, they corrected, they refiled it. Uh, the, the witnesses to the marriage were uh, 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 just employees of the church. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the fact that they were married in Boston rather than the bride's place of residence, Providence, is what leads me primarily to believe, primarily to believe that it's possible they eloped. I don't know that for a fact, but, uh, uh, and of course there was the difference uh, of religion. Uh, Sarah Susan's family were Baptists and uh, uh, her husband's family were Anglican. And uh, I'm sure that uh, Winfield was not about to be married in any church other than Anglican. Uh, just as his son, H.P. Lovecraft, insisted upon being married in an Anglican church, uh, St. Paul's in uh, Manhattan. So uh, th there are a couple of factors that lead me to believe that uh, it might have been an elopement, but I'm not sure about that. Do you know how they met? Because they seem like they get people from two completely different social spheres. Well, I... I, I uh, think that uh, Winfield was actually a fairly successful man in, in his endeavor. Eventually, he went to work as a uh, salesperson for Gorham and Company, silversmiths of Providence. And uh, I am doubtful that he uh, was a door-to-door uh, uh, -door salesman to uh, individual households. I, uh, I suspect he mostly sold to the trade, that is to jewelers, et cetera, rather than to individual households. But he, he was fairly successful. He left, uh, you know, um, at the time he was, by the time he was committed to Butler Hospital in 1893, he had an estate of uh, some $10,000, which, which was a non-negligible amount for the time. That was more than most common working people could ever possibly hope to accumulate. So they might not have been too different in, in terms of social uh, uh, order. But uh, just how they met is unknown. And uh, just how uh, Susie's parents may have looked upon him, at least initially, uh, is, uh, uh, is also unknown. But uh, I am fairly confident they, uh, they, uh, they were reconciled with their daughter and uh, eventually accepted their uh, uh, son-in-law. And, and Susie did, of course, come to Providence to her parents' home to give birth to Howard in uh, August of 1890, which was a fairly common uh, uh, practice for a bride to, uh, you know, especially if she were living out of town, to come back to her parents' home to give birth. For one thing, there would be doctors there that, whom she had probably known from childhood. So anyhow, she came back to Providence to give birth. They then returned to Boston. They lived in Auburndale for a while, but he eventually, uh, he, he suffered from uh, uh, tertiary syphilis, paresis, and he, he lost his marbles on a uh, business trip to Chicago and was brought back to Providence in, 18, in April of 1893. And uh, he spent the rest of his life five years uh, in a declining condition at, at Butler Hospital. Uh, do you know exactly what he was doing to lose his marbles? I mean, how was he acting? Uh, acting, uh, you know, grandiloquent uh, uh, behavior. On the Chicago trip, he claimed that his wife was being assaulted in another room of the hotel. And 
he had been insulted and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, he was just, uh, you know, increasingly afflicted with irrational behaviors. Uh, you can read a lot, uh, you know. Uh, today, of course, syphilis is a treatable disease, and uh, it's relatively rare for it to enter the tertiary uh, uh, phase where the, the brain is so severely affected, but uh, the, 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 you know, the condition was very well known in the, in the late 19th uh, century. Uh, several relative, at least one other relative of, uh, of uh, Winfield, uh, a cousin, uh, Joshua Elliott, was also apparently uh, afflicted with tertiary syphilis. He, he was of Rochester, so Maybe those Lovecraft men had some, uh, uh, what should we say, uh, gay old times back in their youthful <laughs> days. Because this 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 uh, tertiary phase could often, you know, I mean, the, the disease would often lie dormant for many years and then come back after, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. So uh, he, he lasted five years, but uh, his, his his patient notes actually at Butler Hospital actually survived and uh, uh, John McGinnis got the hospital to release those notes. And so you can, uh, uh, there's an issue of uh, Lovecraft studies that has his patient notes in it. And he was clearly in a declining uh, condition. It's debated about whether H.P. Uh, Lovecraft ever visited his father in the hospital. It's interesting. I'll have to look those notes sometime. Uh, you've done a good number of tracking of a lot of Lovecrafts. And, um, and so, uh, uh, how many, have, how many have you tracked down? Oh, gee, uh, I don't know that I tracked down any, every, any living ones. As far as I was able to determine, the last of the male bloodline in England died uh, also in a lunatic asylum in 1911. Uh, in, in the United States, uh, Lovecraft believed his, that he was himself the uh, last survivor of the uh, uh, male line, unless a cousin who had went west had had somehow survived. But that, that cousin who allegedly went west, he did go west for a while. His name was George Eliot. He was the son of uh, that Joshua Eliot. And uh, uh, he, uh, he actually spent almost, you know, from at least 1901 on, he, uh, he spent his life in New York City. He died in New York City at the end of 1932. So he was probably the second last survivor of the male bloodline. Now there are uh, survivors uh, in the female lines uh, don't have the surname Lovecraft. And, and of course, today, uh, in, in, in view of uh, Lovecraft's own world fame, uh, a lot of people have decided to adopt the name Lovecraft. Some of them actually, through legal process, they've legally changed their names to Lovecraft, others just informally. And uh, I say more power to them. But uh, I don't think that... Uh, in my opinion, uh, I don't think any of them are any closer related to H.P. Lovecraft than you or I are, which is taking nothing from them and taking nothing from you or, you or I, from, for that matter. So that's my take on uh, surviving Lovecrafts. Those who have adopted the name, God bless them. Uh, but uh, as for actual male line Devonshire, male bloodline Devonshire Lovecrafts, uh, I'd have to see the evidence. Now it's all, it's it's always very hard to prove a negative. So that's not to say there might be one lurking out there somewhere. 
I, I recently thought I might have discovered one. I, I was looking on Ansa on uh, Family Search, and I found a William Lovecraft uh, in the in the census for 1930 in New York City. But uh, through various pieces of evidence, uh, I concluded he was actually George Eliot Lovecraft lurking under a different name. George Eliot had had all kinds of legal difficulties in the 1890s. And as a result, he, he uh, seems to, at least with respect to his name, was rather a shifty character. He, sometimes he called himself Eliot, sometimes George, apparently sometimes William. Uh, but uh, in actual fact, rather than being out west, uh, he, he died in New York City. Uh, he, uh, he, had, he had had some substantial business interests uh, inherited from his father in Rochester, uh, but he lost most of that, whether through mismanagement or what, I don't know. And uh, then in, in his land, he died. When he died, he was an elevator operator. So that was, that was his fate. How's that for a job? Uh, there's that mysterious Edgar Lovecraft of Martinsburg, uh, West Virginia, who wrote a letter, Weird's Tale, June 1934. Yes, uh, Lovecraft saw that letter. Now, it was mostly in praise of Margaret Brundage's, Margaret Brundage's nudes. <laughs> so just what he thought of the letter, or at least of the opinions of the letter writer, I don't know. But uh, he was interested enough in the fact that the letter writer was an Edgar Lovecraft, uh, that he actually wrote to... Uh, uh, a letter to him, a letter of inquiry. Uh, whether he had any more address than Martinsburg, I don't know whether he had a street address, but in any case, the letter was uh, returned, addressee unknown. And he so reported to uh, E. Hoffman Price and at least one other uh, correspondent. Uh, I, I, as, as for whether there might have been an actual Edgar Lovecraft uh, in Martinsburg, well, uh, there's no record of him in any genealogical sources that we currently have. That's not to say that new sources might appear in the future, but for right now, uh, we have to say probably unlikely that it was probably just a fan who decided to adopt the name of one of his favorite Weird Tales authors. And maybe, maybe uh, whether Edgar was his actual first name or maybe he decided to take Edgar from Lovecraft's beloved Edgar Allan Poe. So it's kind of a nice combination, Edgar Lovecraft. So that's as much as we know about that story. You know, we don't, there's no evidence that, uh, I don't think that returned letter is anywhere in the Lovecraft papers at, uh, at the John Hay Library. So that's probably where we have to leave it unless some very unexpected evidence uh, becomes available in the future. And then there's that mysterious H.P. Lovecraft or Howard P. Lovecraft who showed up in the Los Angeles directory in 1917. Yes, that's quite a quandary. Uh, in the, the if you go on Family Search, you can readily find uh, the 1970 Los Angeles Directory. I don't know whether I can't remember whether it's page 1283 or 983, but uh, there he is, Lovecraft Howard P. Boilermaker, and then you have his address, which is an apartment building. So you're 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 left to wonder. Uh, uh, was H.P. Lovecraft actually out in Los Angeles in 1916 working as a boilermaker and got surveyed by the canvasser for uh, the, the city directory? I think the chances of that are very small. Was there another man of the identical name who was a boilermaker who lived out in Los Angeles? So I think the evidence 
The circumstantial evidence against that is that he seems to disappear after 1970. Poof, you can't find him. And so, uh, uh, you know, given the unlikelihood of either of those two, I think the questions are, the, the possibilities are what? Number one, excuse me, was it a contemporary hoax? And Lovecraft did, you know, he was an amateur journalist at the time, and he, he was not one to hold back strong opinions. Uh, he was strongly against alcohol. Uh, he was strong conservative. He was a very puritanical uh, individual in his outlooks. And, and so he, he, he uh, attracted some enemies in the hobby. And so uh, could, uh, uh, could some Los Angeles uh, uh, amateurs have just decided to poke some fun at him and, uh, you know, get a canvasser, you know, uh, give a canvasser a couple of extra dollars to uh, put Howard P. Lovecraft as a boilermaker in this uh, uh, apartment house in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, there, there, there's the, of course, boilermakers is a very honest uh, profession making boilers, but there, there are some other uses of the term. I think a boilermaker, and you, maybe one of you fellows can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a uh, a shot in a beer, yeah, was often, often known as a boilermaker, and of course that would uh, that would tie into his hostility to alcohol. And th then another use of boilermaker was kind of like criminal slang as a prostitute's lover. I don't know whether also her uh, pimp, but uh, in any case, that that would uh, kind of irritate his uh, puritanical aspects. So maybe it was a setup of some kind of. Uh, contemporary amateurs to put to bribe a, ca a canvasser to put a false list again. And then the final possibility is, well, could it be a contemporary, uh, not contemporary, a uh, modern day hoax? And to, uh, to prove that one, I think the thing you really want to find is a paper copy of that 1917 uh, Los Angeles directory. Now, there are other copy, other electronic copies than the uh, a family search one. I think the Los Angeles Public Library itself has an electronic copy, but the question would be, do they have a common corrupt uh, source, a, a source that was corrupted in modern days? And of course, just as Lovecraft had amateur enemies uh, back in the uh, uh, period of 1917, uh, today he has uh, uh, many people who at least regard him as a uh, a despicable person uh, who say he's a vicious racist, who say he's an anti-Semite, homophobe. Uh, I, I'm not going to get into those discussions, but he has enemies today, just as he had, had enemies uh, uh, back a uh, hundred years ago. So uh, it's a fascinating uh, uh, discovery, and I, I hope more will eventually be, discover, be discovered about it. Uh, of the possibilities, I think the possibility that he himself was out there in 1960 and got canvassed and was working as a boilermaker is the is the least likely. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to me an occupation. It's a heavy occupation, so uh, it, it's not one I think he would have uh, very likely have uh, have chosen to to adopt. So uh, uh, I ho I hope we'll eventually know more about that. For right now, I just have to say, I, I don't know. It really puzzles me. I had a friend go through some of the California newspapers through newspapers.com and couldn't find 
any references to a Lovecraft living, you know, over there. Yeah, that's that's the that's the problem. Uh, you know, the theory of the identically named fellow who was actually a boilermaker. Well, what happened to him? He disappears completely. You know, there's the only reference is this uh, 1917 directory listing, which was makes you believe maybe it was a plant of some kind. You know, seems like an odd plant, especially if it was like a contemporary one. Like you know, it seemed like you know we'd have to rely on Lovecraft just happened to find that. Yeah, how would you have actually irritated him with that? Maybe maybe uh, someone actually making a photostatic copy of it and uh, uh, selling it to him, I don't know. Or, hi, Howard, here you've been out in L.A. Uh, working as a boilermaker. Boiler <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, it, 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 all, of the, all of the possibilities uh, have, their, have, their, have their drawbacks. And I, I'd like to know more about it. It was eventually this, I think the original discovery of this was by a correspondent of S.T. Joshi's. I don't recall the name right now. And he was eventually going to write an article on it. I don't know whether he has or not, but uh, it would certainly uh, be interesting to see some new uh, theories uh, offered because uh, as you point out, uh, uh, the idea of suborning some uh, directory canvasser to put in a false entry, you know, how, how are you going to get Lovecraft's goat by, by doing that? You know, it seems like a waste of a couple bucks. And would he Just, really be offended by that anyway? Would he? I, I you know, I, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. As I said, there are a couple of, you know, there's a drink called a Boilermaker and there's also slang for a prostitute's lover. So uh, either of those two, uh, appellations might have gotten him, gotten him a little heated, but uh, uh, it just, uh, you know, I still think it's a weak theory. So I, I'd like to have a, I'd like to see a better theory. We'll pose it out there, see if my else comes as a better one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, talk about the, uh, you know, Lovecraft thinking he's the last of the Lovecrafts. There was a movie that came out called The Last Lovecraft, Relic of Cthulhu. And there's a character named Jeff Phillips who learns he is the last descendant of H.P. Lovecraft and must guard a relic to keep it from being reunited with the star spawn. And since there are no more Lovecrafts, according to the movie, is there no one to save us from the Cthulhu cult now? Well, the only, th the only consolation I can offer you is that, of course, Cthulhu and all his minions were actually inventions of H.P. Lovecraft's fertile brain at least from my perspective. So I don't worry too much about it. Now, there are those who say that uh, uh, Lovecraft was actually being, you know, Lovecraft's imaginings were actually being influenced by the real Cthulhu. And if that's what you believe, well, I, I can't help you too much. Maybe, maybe you better be worrying about it. But I'm not losing any sleep over it right now. Uh, there was an interesting story that J. Vernon Shea wrote called The Secret Member. Um, uh, which he talks about that H.P. Lovecraft had an illegitimate half-brother named Winthrop. And, um, and he was stalking uh, Lovecraft during that time. And, um, and then it's presented almost like it's being like true fact and all that. And um, Shea at the end says like, oh, it was all a hoax. You know, so. uh, I could tell you this, uh, pr probably J. Vernon Shea, the author, and I both uh, had from the same source an anecdote that... Uh, an old-time amateur journalist, uh, uh, Charlie Hines, apparently uh, was telling at one point that uh, that Lovecraft actually had a quote-unquote twin brother. Now, I think that's a highly 
unlikely story. <laughs> maybe a maybe a half brother. Uh, maybe 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 uh, some uh, maybe some of those wild oats of uh, Winfield from uh, back in the day. You know, it's uh, possible he had a illegitimate half brother uh, through some liaisons of uh, uh, Winfield Lovecraft. But uh, I just have to regard it. Uh, as a scurrilous story, I don't think there's uh, certainly no truth to the idea that he had a twin brother. And as for a illegitimate half brother, uh, there's certainly no evidence. So uh, I don't know what to say about it, except it probably made a pretty good story. I, I'm sure I read it back in the day. You know, it appeared in Stu Schiff's uh, Whispers, which was quite a famous uh, small magazine in the in the in the day, and. Uh, I don't have an active recollection of it, but uh, I'd like to find a copy and read it now because it, it, sound, it sounds like an interesting story. So I can send it to you. I, oh, that'd be great if you have a have a scan of it. I'd love I'd love to, I'd love to read I'd love to read it again. Yeah, I'll do that. And of course, twin brothers make you think of Domitora, you know, with the um, with the, the evil twin brothers that they had going on there. Yes, well, of course, Wilbur Waitley, uh, Wilbur Waitley's twin brother in the Dunwich Horror. I mean, there, there's certainly that there's certainly uh, that instance of a twin brother. But uh, uh, again, I think the uh, idea that Lovecraft himself had a twin brother, uh, unrecorded twin brother, who was somehow deformed and spirited away without any birth record being recorded, it just uh, to me, the likelihood seems very, very small. <laughs> uh, there was another person that Lovecraft claimed to be related to is, I'll see if I can pronounce his name right, Owen Gwended, a, a medieval Welsh king. Yes, he was, he was very uh, delighted to find that he had Welsh ancestry. I, I think it came through his uh, uh, All Good line, I think. Uh, uh, his mother, his grandmother, Helen Allgood, uh, her mother had been a Morris, Rachel Morris, and uh, the Morrises were a Welsh family. And uh, he, he proceeded to link up uh, uh, his Morrises with, uh, you know, Morrises going way back into the Middle Ages in Wales. Uh, just how validly or not, I, I don't know. I certainly couldn't establish it, but uh, there, there are lots of... Uh, uh, Wells is a land of many, uh, of much lore and legendary. Uh, Owen Gwynnett was a very noted uh, monarch in the medieval period and uh, had a descendant, I think, Llewellyn. Uh, I, I think uh, Wikipedia will tell you more than I can off the top of my head about Owen Gwynnett and his uh, antecedents and, and his uh, descendants. Whether any of those antecedents had any relationship with uh, Cthulhu, uh, I, I, I have no way of saying, but it would probably make a good story if there are any uh, fictioners out there who would like to uh, take a crack at it. There was a, but Lovecraft did claim, you know, that he was related to Cthulhu through him and stuff. Yes, he did. Hmm. He, uh, there's a famous, uh, uh, you know, uh, Frank Long was one of the few who uh, had the, I won't say the gall, but had the chutzpah that's the word I want, to uh, tease Lovecraft. And uh, of course, he teased Lovecraft about his uh, uh, his interest in family history. And there's a famous uh, 
cartoon that Frank drew. It's, 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 uh, you know, he and Lovecraft are looking out at some, uh, dinosaurs and, uh, uh, you know, he's saying, oh, my, what wonder, what, what distinguished ancestors you had, Howard. So Howard, you know, he was, the point one being that uh, Howard would have liked to trace his ancestors back to the dinosaurs if he could have. <laughs> uh, there was also a Frederick A. Lovecraft who lived in New York. Yes, he was a son of uh, uh, George's brother, Aaron. And uh, he was involved in uh, quite a few different uh, enterprises. Uh, he was involved with uh, uh, theater, uh, with uh, racehorse, racehorse, racehorses and, and ladies. His, his girlfriend was an actress, Mae Brooken. And eventually, uh, you know, some people theorize that he, uh, you know, like Winfield and Joshua Elliott, uh, that he too might have been a poetic because eventually he became uh, just uh, uh, meant to exhibit, you know, uh, a lot of eccentric behaviors, uh, unwarranted concern about his financial status. And uh, the long and short of it was he eventually uh, uh, took poison and shot himself. I think it was actually the poison that was fatal. The shot was a grazing wound in October of 1893. Uh, his, his girlfriend, uh, uh, subsequently committed suicide uh, about six months later out and I think it was in the San Francisco uh, area. Uh, so uh, 1893 was not a good year for the Lovecrafts. It was uh, not only did it mark uh, Winfield's institutionalization, but the uh, suicide of uh, uh, Frederick Aaron. And his, his estate, you know, uh, uh, he left all his money all his estate, he had written a handwritten will at the theater, I think, uh, uh, or at the racetrack, I've forgotten which, uh, leaving everything to his manager, uh, Colonel Kearney. And, and of course, his widow and some other relatives uh, uh, challenged that will. And there, there was a protracted uh, uh, litigation over it. Uh, eventually, Althea was a left out penniless on the streets. Uh, she received some type of allowance, but uh, most of the of his money did in fact go to satisfy his uh, uh, creditors. So he, he left, uh, uh, like Joshua Elliott Lovecraft, uh, uh, he left a fairly tangled legal mess uh, behind him. So he had a girlfriend and a wife? Uh, uh, he was apparently uh, married early on in the early 1880s uh, and then divorced. Some sources say his, his wife eventually went to uh, France, but uh, I don't think he simultaneously had uh, a wife and his uh, uh, girlfriend, Mae Brooken. Her name is often given as Brooklyn, but that's a mistake. It's, uh, it's Brooken, B-R-O-K-Y-N, no, no L. B-R-O-O-K-Y-N. So you even delved into Lovecraft's in-laws, such as his uncle, Edward Francis Gamwell. Uh, yes, Edward had been a student at uh, Brown University. He took his A.B. there in 1894, and I think that's uh, just exactly how he met uh, Annie uh, Phillips. Uh, is not known to me, but... Uh, uh, they became uh, uh, best of best of friends, 
and uh, he took up editorial positions eventually in uh, Cambridge, uh, uh, <clears throat> Massachusetts. And in 1897, uh, he married Annie. They moved to they moved to Cambridge. Uh, uh, for a dozen years, he was proprietor of the Cambridge uh, uh, Tribune, but uh, he, he had a weakness, and it was alcohol, and, and he eventually lost his business, and uh, I think eventually lost Annie as well, although they never divorced. They had two children. They had a daughter who lived only five days in 1900, and then they had a son, Phillips, who was uh, born in 1898, and Phillips, Phillips uh, had a lot of prospects. He was friends with his cousin Howard, uh, but unfortunately he contracted uh, uh, tuberculosis. Uh, Annie took him out to Colorado to try to cure him, but uh, alas, he died there on the last day of uh, 1916. So uh, both of Annie's two children were short-lived, which was probably why her nephew Howard was so important to her, uh, because both of her she had lost both of her own. Uh, children. So her sister's child was especially precious to her. I guess that playing a role of why, why she was so overprotective of him. Uh, that, that could uh, well, well, be the, well be the case. Uh, the, the, the Phillips sisters, all three of them, uh, Lily, uh, Susie, and Annie were all strong-minded women. And um, Edward did have an impact on um, Lovecraft for his writing, I guess letter writing. Yes, well, particularly Edward's son, Phillips, because, uh, uh, you know, uh, they, they were visitors occasionally. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't too long a trip between Providence and Cambridge. Uh, so they saw each number in person uh, with fair frequency. And then starting in 1910, uh, uh, Phillips and Lovecraft started to correspond. Uh, Lovecraft called it a piquant correspondence. And, uh, uh, of course, he was very much the... Uh, uh, senior member, he was eight years older than uh, than Phillips, but he tried to encourage Phillips in his interests. He, he even gave Phillips his stamp collection, which he eventually would have liked to have had back after Phil, after Phillips died. But he was uh, Annie, so his, Annie Phillips's mother, so treasured every memento of Phillips that Lovecraft was reluctant to ask for his. Uh, stamp collection back. So uh, Lovecraft actually wrote that Phillips, his correspondence with Phillips Gamwell was his first real substantial correspondence. Uh, alas, uh, no portion of it is known to survive, at least not <clears throat> in the Lovecraft collection at Brown University. Whether any of it might still be in family hands, I, I don't know. And, uh, but he wasn't close to his uncle, Edwin Phillips. No, that was a rather distant relationship. Uh, uh, Edwin was mostly uh, a rent collector, a mortgage originator, dealer in coins and stamps, a property manager. And he, uh, uh, in 1911, Lovecraft claimed that Edwin had lost uh, a fairly sizable chunk of money uh, belonging to Susie and Howard. And, and, and undoubtedly, Edwin pressed Susie for Lovecraft to uh, uh, get a job. You know, Lovecraft hadn't even obtained a high school diploma. And, all, all you know, his amateur activity was well and good, but it wasn't bringing in any dollars. And uh, it's, it's very possible that, in fact, Lovecraft uh, worked for his uncle or uh, 
worked in jobs that his uncle obtained for him, at least for brief periods. I, I hate to think of him as a rent collector. I don't think he would have been a very effective uh, rent collector. I can, I can see some uh, uh, tardy tenants, uh, you know, uh, kind of talking their way around Lovecraft. But uh, uh, in any case, uh, uh, they were not close uh, at all. Edwin had had a troubled relationship with his father, Whipple Phillips, as well. He and his wife, uh, Martha Matthews, uh, divorced and then eventually remarried. I think the remarriage may have been at least in part to uh, uh, win uh, uh, Edwin back into at least to some of his father's uh, good graces. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, Edwin, Edwin was a businessman in a minor way in, in Providence. He was active in Rotary. Uh, he... Uh, I think uh, after uh, Annie and her husband separated, Annie, ke Annie kept house for Edwin, who had become a widower in 1916. Uh, and then uh, Ed Edwin died in 1918. Uh, he was actually the last male, apart from Howard Lovecraft, uh, in the immediate family in Providence. And I, I think that, that may have, uh, you know, his death may have had a strong impact on. Uh, Lovecraft's mother, despite their somewhat distant relationship, Susie may have looked upon him as the man of the family. Uh, she really, uh, uh, between his death in November 1918 of pneumonia and her institutionalization in March of 1919, there are only a few months. So uh, just, just how severely his death impacted her, I don't know. She may have been hurt over her father's death, and that may have, like, you know, just pushed her over the edge when, when her brother died. Yes. Uh, you know, I, th I think some of the rec recollections of uh, Susie were that she was a woman of, that who could be, uh, what should we say, easily uh, set off even keel, you know, so uh, uh, a loss could definitely be something very difficult for her to deal with. Most people, you know, why uh, they, uh, yes, they'll mourn a loss, but then eventually they'll uh, come back and get to their main track. But uh, uh, that was not necessarily her nature. And her relationship with her son was very troubled. So, so uh, uh, I do think the, the loss of Edwin uh, might have affected her more than we realize. And um, he... Lovecraft um, incorporated a lot of his ancestors um, in his Paul Lewis papers. That's true. Uh, there, uh, there, there are some very poignant phrases in there. You know, uh, he says his great great grandfather used to live in the country, uh, in a white house among green trees, and he used to believe in religion and the weather. Well, you know, if you were a farmer. Even if you were a rare one who didn't believe in religion, you sure believed in the weather because that, <laughs> that your livelihood depended uh, immediately upon that. And, and there's also another poignant uh, couple lines in there where he writes about uh, sitting on the steps of, uh, uh, of his old family home uh, after he and his mother had moved out, uh, but before it was sold, you know, uh, after Whipple Phillips died, uh, the family home at 454 Angel Street had to be sold. And Susie and her son moved to a flat 
a couple blocks uh, westward on on uh, Angel Street, five five ninety eight Angel Street. But uh, Lovecraft and his aunts, why never cease to mourn the uh, loss of their uh, uh, original family home? No, he never did. Now you studied Lovecraft's birth home as well. Yes, that's 454 Angel Street, where he was born on, in August of 1890. He writes several times that his, his brother, his father, excuse me, his grandfather, Whipple Phillips, uh, built that home. But I, I don't believe that's strictly true. I think Whipple, I think uh, uh, Whipple bought it already built. There had been a previous owner, a, a, Mr., uh, a Mr. Allen, but it was a commodious uh, three-story uh, uh, Victorian house. Uh, it was built in an area of the city that was just then being developed. So there were open fields within very easy walking distance. Uh, there, were, there was a uh, coach house with uh, living quarters for uh, the, uh, for the uh, yard man to, and his family to live upstairs. Uh, the coach house was eventually demolished in, uh, I think, 1931, and both Lovecraft and his aunt, his younger aunt Annie, uh, uh, mourned, mourned that. Uh, uh, in fact, Annie even recovered, I think, a, a time capsule she had placed uh, in the coach house. Uh, uh, so, in any house, it was quite a, quite a spacious uh, residence. Uh, the eventual owner, uh, the eventual buyer of the house. Uh, was uh, Dr. Uh, George Moulton Porter, who was a surgeon at Rhode Island Hospital. And uh, he eventually turned it into a warren of doctor's offices. Uh, at one point in time, there were as many as 12 doctors practicing uh, with their offices at 454 uh, Angel Street. So you, you can bet that it took a lot of uh, uh, wear and tear over all those years. In fact, after Dr. Porter died in 1957, uh, uh, it only lasted a few more years. It probably would have been just prohibitively ex expensive to uh, uh, renovate. So it was torn down in 1960 or 1961. Now, she Lovecraft's mother went there to give birth to him. And did she leave there or did she stay there? Uh, she and Lovecraft moved out of 454 Angel Street in, 19, in 1904 after the death of her father. And they lived at, they lived in the, the downstairs flat at 598 Angel. Uh, uh, Howard until he, uh, Howard for a full 20 years until he eloped to uh, uh, New York City to marry Sonia Green in uh, 1924. And uh, his mother until 1919 when she was uh, when she, like her husband, was institutionalized at uh, Butler Hospital. She lived two more years and uh, eventually died of, uh, uh, I think, a, a, gall, a gallbladder condition. She had had surgery, I think, for removal of her gallbladder and suffered complications. So like her husband, she ended her days at uh, Butler Hospital. So, but, but uh, you know, uh, uh, 598 Angel was Lovecraft's home for a good 20 years, from 1904 to 1924. There was one thing that he had, I guess like a play thing for him, was a miniature railroad. 
What do you know about that? The lots to the immediate west of 454 Angel Street, his birthplace, uh, were not developed at the time of his youth. They eventually became what today is known as Angel Court. It's a little court and there are houses on it, but originally that wasn't there. So there was a fair amount of open land to the uh, immediate west of the uh, of his uh, birthplace. And uh, uh, the, the uh, gardener uh, uh, built him a... Uh, uh, a train set to, to play to play with uh, in this uh, open field. Now, this was not just a, a miniature train like a Lionel, but uh, I, I, I we don't have exact descriptions of it. But I would I would guess it was probably made out of uh, packing boxes, you know, crates. Uh, probably propelled uh, the lead car propelled by his own feet. Uh, whether there were rails or not, maybe maybe there would have been a central rail that would keep the uh, train uh, to a track, or maybe there could have been rails on uh, either side. This would just have been boards with stakes, you know. Uh, uh, but apparently he had great fun with this. Uh, you know, he constructed uh, uh, pretend villages and uh, other features of landscape and uh, uh, even after he, in 1904, after his grandfather died, he and his mother moved to uh, more <coughs> compact quarters at 598 Angel Street. There, there was still a vacant lot next door, so I think he brought with him at least part of the uh, a part of his rail system. So he called the uh, villages the village New Anvik. I think uh, he, he was very fascinated by uh, uh, tales of the Arctic and the Antarctic. So. Uh, uh, I think that's where that name came from. But uh, <clears throat> um, uh, in any case, uh, there are several later letter, letters that uh, uh, descri describe his railroad and his pretend village. And uh, uh, lots of readers have had lots of fun with those uh, letters. Let's hope Lovecraft had lots of fun with his, uh, with his village and train. I always assumed that Lovecraft was a city boy, but it seems like he lived out in the country. Uh, his, 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 his birth home was quite close to the open fields. Now, eventually over the years, that all became uh, uh, developed. You know, Blackstone Boulevard was developed. Uh, but uh, in his early days, uh, there were a lot of open fields around. And uh, even as a uh, mature man, uh, he loved to walk into the country. He had tremendous stamina as a walker. You know, he could walk. 10 miles in a heartbeat, no problem. Uh, and uh, uh, he loved rural vestiges, uh, you know, uh, church spires, rural church spires appearing through the, uh, the woods, things like that. Uh, sun sunsets, the, uh, the various effects of sunsets uh, on the light and shadow. So he, uh, he had a, uh, strong admiration of country life. Although whether he would have actually liked the practicalities of country life is another matter. It was hard grueling labor if you were a yeoman farmer uh, out there in Foster, Rhode Island where his great great grandfather had lived in the White House among the green trees and believed in religion and the weather. <laughs> so if you'd lived out there, you wouldn't have had much time for toy, for, uh, uh, toy trains or genealogy or any of that, you would have been uh, involved in the main chance, which was keeping enough food on the table 
to live. You know, many of those farms were small, they'd been subdivided. And so there really wasn't much, uh, the, the soil was relatively rocky, rocky and unproductive. So uh, uh, there really wasn't much commercial prospect. Your main hope was to grow enough that you could feed your family on, maybe sell a few things for to buy some other necessities, but it, it was a hard life. I don't think he would necessarily have liked it much as he adored the uh, rural landscape as an adult. I would say so. Uh, you found a few things about the staff who worked it for Lovecraft's family. Yes, uh, uh, I, I found a couple of the outside workers in city directories. Uh, the inside workers are tougher. You know, there was a gradual economic decline. I think the high point of 454 Angel Street was probably in the 18 in the 1880s. They might have had as many as uh, four inside staff, but but by 1900 there was just one inside staff who was who was a resident to be enumerated by the census. It was a young Irish girl named Maggie Corcoran. Now there might still have been uh, people who came in as day staff to work by day. You know there was a black woman, Delilah Townsend, who worked for the family many years, apparently originally as a, as a cook or waitress. Uh, she, she was later a maid and a helper for Lovecraft's elder aunt, Lily uh, Clark. Lily had severe arthritis. So she needed a lot of help in her later years, and, and uh, Delilah did help her. Generally, Lovecraft was polite and kind uh, in, in, to Delilah, although there's some nasty references in, in correspondence, but uh, to uh, what Delilah's value might have been as a slave. But uh, in person, I, I, I uh, believe he was probably polite to her. Uh, in any case, I mean, uh, uh, they did uh, they did they did have uh, a staff gradually diminishing, and then uh, uh, I don't know that. Uh, uh, Susie had any domestic staff or helpers once she moved to 598 uh, Angel Street, the flat there. She probably had to do her own housework. After she was institutionalized, her two sisters uh, came there to keep house for their nephew until he uh, married and eloped to Brooklyn. And uh, he, he kept many things from that house, the belongings from that old house. He did. Uh, the, the, when the family had to leave the birth home in 1904, uh, they had some family friends who had a barn, and uh, they apparently stored much of the excess furniture that would not fit in the new flat at 598 Angel. And most of that remained in storage over the years. So finally, when uh, Lovecraft and his younger aunt, Annie Gamwell, united their households in uh, uh, 1933, uh, they had a full floor at 66 College Street. So they were able to bring some things out of storage that had been in storage for, for uh, 30 years. Uh, but he did have a strong attachment to uh, uh, his physical surroundings. You know, uh, you can, after he eloped to New York and married Sonia Green, he wrote letters in just excruciating detail to his Aunt Lillian about exactly what property he wanted uh, 
shipped to New York. Apparently there was a mattress, the mattress he had been born on that he wanted sent down to uh, uh, New York. Why the one that Sonia had wasn't good enough, I don't, I don't know. But, uh, and there were also various ones of his books and other smaller furnishings that uh, he wanted sent. Some of the photographs of his cousin Philip's uh, Gamwell he wanted sent. So he, he, he wrote on several occasions that, uh, you know, uh, you know, and he lived in apartments for the rest of his life, and he wrote on several occasions that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that if he were forced to part with his familiar surroundings, that is the furniture and books and mementos that he was used to, uh, uh, that would be the end of his life as far as he was concerned. At the new place, he also had a chemistry laboratory in the basement. He did. He succeeded in sustaining a rather nasty chemical burn there uh, uh, that his uncle, uh, Franklin Clark, Lillian's husband, a doctor, uh, treated back, uh, I think probably was 1906, 1907. And then uh, uh, later on, uh, Sarah, Susan's, uh, Susie's uh, psychiatrist, Dr. Uh, uh, Frederick Farnell actually lived in that house uh, years later after Susie and Lovecraft had departed it. And uh, he found Lovecraft's uh, name inscribed on a beam in the basement. So uh, he did leave some relics uh, at 598 uh, uh, Angel Street. I've, I've never been in that house. It's, it's been subsequently to their period of residence, it was divided into even more apartments. You know, originally it was a double house with a downstairs and an upstairs flat. And uh, I think each of those flats have since been divided into apartments so uh uh it it, it undoubtedly has had a lot of wear and tear over the years although if you look at it on google maps in recent years uh seems like at least the exterior has been uh, spiffed up a bit so uh, uh it was certainly though it was probably his, it was his his own longest term home 20 20 years and uh, you also looked into the human neighbors at the arsdale uh, what was the Arsdale? Uh, the Arsdale was a uh, <clears throat> boarding house on Waterman Street, just across the backyard from uh, 66 College Street, where Lovecraft and his younger aunt lived starting in 1933. And uh, Annie customarily took her uh, noon meal at the Arsdale. It was both a boarding and a rooming house, so you could, you could, you could have a meal... You could either have a meal contract or you could not. In other words, you could just be a roomer if you wanted to. But uh, it was popular with a lot of uh, uh, teachers, librarians. Uh, two of the ladies there that Lovecraft knew, uh, Marion Bonner was the uh, periodicals librarian at the main public library uh, down on Empire, Empire Street in downtown Providence. The other lady... Uh, Give me just a moment here. Um, the, the name of the other lady is uh, Evelyn. Uh, Evelyn. Evelyn Staples. Yes, Evelyn Staples was a retired school teacher. She was the granddaughter of the uh, author of a very uh, famous work of uh, Providence history, Annals of Providence, uh, or rather, the granddaughter of Doc of William R. Staples. Uh, in any case, she was a retired school teacher. But the common element. Uh, between them and Lovecraft is that they were all cat lovers. 
or ilurophiles, as Lovecraft would love to like to like to say. And there, there was, of course, a whole tribe of cats who uh, loved uh, uh, sunning themselves on on the shed in the backyard between the two buildings. And so uh, uh, they they uh, they traded copious. Uh, information about the doings of this tribe of cats. Uh, Lovecraft even corresponded with Miss Botter. His, uh, his uh, correspondence with her is at the John Hay Library. And uh, uh, the, he uh, called himself the third assistant secretary of uh, KAT, which was his name for this uh, cat fraternity. In Latin, he called it Kappa Alpha Ta, those, but uh, he had a fancier name in, uh, in, in Greek. He even uh, drew a coat of arms for the Kappa Alpha Tau. I'll, I'll, put, it's, I'll put it up here on the, on the screen. You can see it. And it's, mm -hmm. it's what the amazing thing about it is, is its similarity to his own family coat. You know, his own family coat had uh, three wolf's heads uh, between, a, between a chevron. And here we have three cat's heads between a chevron. And so uh, he had deliberately modeled it on, on his, fa his own family arms. Of course, the field here is azure or blue rather than vert or green, which was the field uh, in his own family arms. So they, uh, he and Miss Staples and Miss Bonner had a merry old time uh, with the cats and they were, they were great friends. You know, he was, he was wonderful with old ladies. He, he was very generous with his time. And I, I think this is one counter argument to some of the people who uh, consider him such a despicable person as a human being is that he was generous with his time, both to old ladies and, and uh, many of the fans he were he corresponded with uh, uh, in his later years were young Jewish men. So uh, that that's also a counter to. Uh, uh, the statement that he was an out-and-out anti-Semite. So anyhow, uh, Miss Bonner and Miss Stables are, are just a wonderful feature of his later years, and uh, uh, the, the letters to Miss Bonner are just an amazing survival. They're, they're an absolute delight to read. And there are a few of Lovecraft's friends who stayed at the Arisdale. They did. Uh, uh, probably the most famous stay was uh, Robert Barlow, who was there for a month in 1936 when he came to visit Lovecraft in Providence. Uh, another stay was uh, that of Helen Sully, which was in 1933. She only stayed a few days. Uh, probably the most famous part of her stay uh, was uh, uh, the tour Lovecraft took her on to St. John's uh, uh, graveyard at night, St. John's churchyard. and. Uh, uh, she got scared, and there in the dim light, she saw him, and he had a big smile on his face. So he was apparently enjoying her fright. And he later apologized profusely, but she never forgot being scared there at St. John's Churchyard. <laughs> and she didn't come back either for her return visit to Providence. Uh, there were probably other uh, visitors that he accommodated at the uh, Arsdale, but uh, we don't know of all of them. Uh, of course, when he was living up on Barn Street, his landlady there would often let him have a room to accommodate visitors uh, at Barn Street. Uh, Donald Wandry stayed with him up there on, 
on Barn, on Barn Street. I think Frank Long and his family uh, stayed at Barn Street on uh, uh, one visit. So uh, uh, in 1937, after he died, uh, Robert Barlow probably wisely decided that Mrs. Gamwell needed a little more privacy. So he stayed downtown at the YMCA uh, during that visit, uh, as opposed to staying at the Arsdale. Uh, the, uh, the Arsdale was eventually torn down. Uh, today, uh, uh, Brown's List Art Center stands where uh, both where Lovecraft's home was and, and where the Arsdale was. And you also explore, what was it, Eli Court, which became College Court? Yes. Uh, pe people don't realize, you know, that Lovecraft's address at his last home was 66 College Street. And they think, well, that's just another home right on the street. But it, it really wasn't. It was in the interior of the block between College Street and Waterman. And it was sometimes called the Garden House. And there was actually a driveway leading back to it behind the John Hay Library. And uh, uh, this driveway uh, was variously called Eli, Eli Court or College Court. Uh, Eli was the name of a family that lived on the house on the, uh, I think it was the northwest corner of uh, Waterman and Prospect. And in any, in any case, this little drive uh, was uh, called either Eli Court or College Court. Sometimes the address was given as one Eli Court or one College Court, but eventually it was standardized to 66 uh, College Street. And uh, uh, that house remained there until 1957 when it was uh, moved up the street to uh, uh, 65 Prospect Street. So fortunately, Lovecraft's last residence, although relocated, uh, still does survive and it's, it's been beautifully maintained. So it's one of the must-sees if you, uh, if you uh, come to Providence. One of his neighbors was Alice Rachel Shepard, and she played a very important role in his worldview. Uh, she, she, she did. Uh, she was the downstairs flat tenant uh, during uh, Lovecraft's and Annie Gamwell's entire residency at, at 66 College Street. And she uh, taught German at uh, Classical High School downtown. And one thing she did is that uh, after she had retired in the 1930s, uh, she, she made basically annual visits to Germany. And, and she reported back to Lovecraft on uh, the deteriorating conditions there under the uh, Nazi dictatorship. So he did have, he, uh, you know, generally he had been a fairly uncritical admirer of Hitler, but uh, he did get some negative input about him uh, uh, from, from uh, his uh, downstairs uh, neighbor. And there was another neighbor, Mary Spink, Yes, uh, uh, Miss Spink, I don't think, was a resident at College Street until after Lovecraft's own death, but uh, she also resided in the downstairs flat, I think, with Miss, uh, I'm forgetting now the name of the other lady, the German the German teacher, Shepard, Miss Alice, Alice, uh, Rachel she Shepard. Uh, uh, after Lovecraft died, of course, Annie Gamwell was, was uh, like all the Phillips women, she was perennially concerned about her finances. And so she thought she might, she didn't like the thought, but she thought she might have to sell Howard's library. And so uh, what she did was she asked her uh, 
her uh, downstairs neighbor to uh, uh, do a catalog of it. It was basically just a shelf list in order, you know, in order in which the library was shelved. Uh, but uh, this list uh, managed to uh, survive, and, and today is the basis for most of our knowledge of uh, uh, what what books uh, Lovecraft owned. Uh, you you know, uh, S. T. Josie and David Schultz have published uh, quite a few editions of their book Lovecraft's Library, but uh, Miss Spink's uh, shelf list was a, a primary source for that. Now, other sources are also his correspondence, etc. You know, where he stated that he owned this or that book, but uh, the main source is still the uh, Miss Spink's catalog. Miss Spink was uh, the daughter of a city court judge in Providence, and she was uh, she worked for insurance companies. She was uh, some kind of map verifier or something along along those lines. I don't specifically uh, recall. And she uh, she she and she and Miss Shepard both. Uh, uh, they lived good long lives. They both, I think, they both uh, survived into their uh, into their nineties. But fortunate, very fortunately for us, uh, Miss Spink's catalog uh, uh, was preserved uh, through the intervention of Dorothy C. Walter, who was a friend of Lovecraft's, and uh, uh, you can you can see it today uh, at at the John Hay Library. In fact, you don't even have to go there; they've uh, photographed it. You can see it electronically uh, in the. Brown Digital Repository. So uh, it's a it's a it's a wonder. It adds wonderfully to our knowledge of uh, Lovecraft's potential sources. While on the subject of buildings in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, you also wrote about the Charles Dexter Ward, the character and the real house he lived in Providence. Yes, uh, uh, his the house at one forty Prospect Street. It's a very famous house. And now I'm showing my senility, and, I'm, and it has two wonderful bays, and, I, and I'm forgetting the name of it. Please forgive me. The Thomas Lloyd Housley. The Thomas Lloyd Halsey House, absolutely. In its later years, it was reported to be haunted by a ghost in the basement. Uh, Lovecraft uh, told his Aunt Lily to have Delilah, that's Delilah Townsend, tell her all about it, but uh, uh, whether D Delilah did or not, whether she asked Delilah and what Delilah told her is, has been uh, lost to history. Apparently it was a piano playing ghost of, of some kind and uh, uh, there were nearby uh, uh, black neighborhoods so that, that apparently they, uh, the, the black residents avoided the uh, Halsey house uh, like, the, uh, like the Dickens. Uh, it, it it's been beautifully maintained in later years. You can even uh, you can even find some realtor pictures of the interior, and it's equally lavish. Uh, if I had uh, three or five million dollars, that's where I'd live in Providence, the, the Thomas Lloyd Halsey House, and and no piano playing ghost would keep me out of it. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, that was the home of Charles Dexter Ward himself. Of course, uh, his uh, uh, ominous ancestor, Joseph Kerwin, had lived closer to downtown uh, on Olney Court. That's a how uh, uh, Donovan Laux eventually discovered a photograph of that house. Uh, that house has been demolished. That was demolished when uh, North Main Street was widened back in the early 1930s to uh, form Carlton David's Davis uh, Boulevard, but uh, uh, it was a ramshackle old uh, 
old frame house, but Lovecraft used it wonderfully in his story, uh, uh, The Case of Charles uh, Dexter Ward. And you can see you can see the photographs of uh, of it that uh, Donovan discovered. But he knew the owner of that house, didn't he? Uh, I don't know that the the, the owner of the uh, uh, of the uh, the Cur of the so-called Kerwin House. Uh, in general, I haven't done much in terms of tracing owners. Uh, I mostly have worked with you know city directories in terms of uh, tracing uh, tracing residents. She did for a period. I, uh, I, I'm not absolutely certain, but I think he may have been taking his shirts to Delilah for uh, laundering. You know, uh, uh, laundry has doing laundry has always been one of the worst and poorest, pay, one of the hardest and poorest paid uh, professions for females. But uh, uh, Delilah was doing it, I think, and probably other harder work like. Uh, caring for uh, Lovecraft's aunt, uh, Aunt Lily. Delilah had a hard life. Uh, she was divorced. Her son, her only son died early on. He was only 20. Uh, just a hard, uh, a hard life. Uh, I've forgotten now which uh, cemetery she's buried in, but I'm fairly certain she has, has probably has no, no marker there, but she and her, she and her son are, are there. Uh, you've done a lot of research in Lovecraft's family. Um, have you done your own family? I've done a little. I, I did each of my four grandparents and took them as, took their ancestry as far as I could take it. I've not done any uh, DNA testing. I realize that can solve some brick walls and link up with uh, uh, you know distant cousins, but uh, I just wasn't motivated to do it. I took it as far as I could and. Uh, I'm content to live with my brick walls. In fact, I, for myself, I consider a few mysteries kind of, kind of, you know, a few unknowns interesting to have. I'd, I'd hate to have every spot on my ancestor table filled in. It would be seen to me to be rather boring. So I like, I like having a few mysteries because I can, I can imagine uh, uh, who might fill those uh, missing places. They're probably more interesting than who you did find out. Yes. Yes, that, that's why I say that, you know, there's a cultural importance to what Lovecraft believed about his ancestry, whether all of it is true or not. Nevertheless, it's important because it influenced him. We'll wrap, we'll end with that for the interview. And I do have like a, a word for the episode. There's one appeared in your book. It was uh, bands, B-A-N-N-S. Can you define that for us? What is a bands? Uh, you know, uh, Lovecraft's uh, great grandfather uh, uh, Joseph was married in Woodland Parish in Devon in uh, 1805. He married. That's where he married Mary Full, not Fulford, and uh, it was by bands. And uh, what this involved was the reading uh, of a notice of the forthcoming wedding uh, three times in public in church. And the the uh, the, the rationale was to uh, uh, give those in attendance an opportunity to raise an objection uh, uh, if, if, they had, if they had one. Well, he's already married or uh, he's not divorced or whatever. But in any case, they, they passed muster, the bands were read and uh, wh whether this, whether marriage by bands was followed, in other words, whether the reading of the bands three times actually uh, 
then amounted to the marriage or whether there was an actual uh, marriage ceremony following, I'm not absolutely sure. But uh, marriage by bands involved the reading of these public reading of these bands three times. I, I think that persists in uh, uh, at least some churches. Usually in movies, they'll say, like, you know, if anyone objects to this marriage, you know, please speak now, forever hold your peace. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, thank you for coming along and talking to us about um, Lovecraft's people's places and, and things. And this is your book. And so it's like, uh, just came out last year, didn't it? It did. And uh, a second volume is uh, anticipated for next year. So, uh, Hopefully there'll be some good. Hopefully there'll be some good things to watch out for in that. And I, I do appreciate your having me. I, I apologize for being a little weak voice uh, tonight. I've been recovering from a cold, but uh, uh, ho hopefully we've uh, touched on some interesting topics. And I hope we'll inspire some uh, future Lovecraftians to do some family history work of their own. I am sure they'll discover uh, some interesting things because new resources are becoming available in digital form all the time. And I think, uh, you know, uh, in, in 10 years, there'll be resources that we don't have today and there'll be new and exciting things to discover. So the last word is hardly, has hardly been said. Maybe we'll even have figured out that 1917 listing in the Los Angeles directory. Right, there you yeah. go. Who is that Lovecraft? The mystery song. Yes. But we really want it solved, you know, would it be like a cool mystery to have, you know? That's right. Well, we don't, as I said, I personally don't like all the mysteries being solved. I, I like having a, a few Cthulhu's lurking in the, lurking in the hallways there. There is a um, Xenoscope Comics is doing a line of like, you know, having Lovecrafting characters appear and they have this really wild story of Lovecraft actually going to California. And so, you know, it could fit in with that storyline they have going on. Yes, well, you know, I mean, the, the thing about the, you know, Lovecraft in the in the 19, after his advent to amateur journalism, he was such a heavy correspondent that his life is pretty much self-documenting, you know, self-documenting. And if he took a month-long trip to California in like 1916 or 1917, it would have been hard for him to hide, hide it, you know. So, I, 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 you know, but it's not it's not an impossible fictional premise by by any by any means. So, uh, and uh, maybe he ran out of money out there and had to apprentice himself as a boiler maker. You know, uh, <laughs> would have been would have been pretty hard work. That's that it would have been probably nearly as bad as being a farmer out there in Foster, you know, in the nineteenth century. But. Uh, May, you know, there are all kinds of possibilities. And, uh, you know, it's nice that uh, sometimes to be left a little room for imagination. Yeah, well, couldn't agree more. I see the stars are no longer right. We must cease all discussions until they align again next month. 30 Plus Minutes of HP Lovecraft is sponsored by the Cosmic Horror DNA Test Kit. Find out what old ones is in your family tree. This podcast is creating association with LovecraftPod.com, the Logan Speculative Fishing Group, and with help from Lone County Public Library and the great old ones. Special thanks to Katie Tysons for always being the wolf's howl on the Lovecraft's family crest, and Joshua Dukes for the invisible net maker. Until we meet again, may you avoid Princess Cthulhu's family tree. Mm -hmm.